Welcome to the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome to this episode of Mental Health Matters. For today's matter, we have an old family friend and incredible professional professional Dr. Aviva Goldstein to discuss the matter of students in their gap year and their social emotional development. Dr. Goldstein, before we begin, first of all, thank you for joining us on this episode. It is such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. We, we had you on one of our parenting, uh, pa- parenting in a pandemic presentations, and it was so popular that we needed to get you back in another format. So thank you so much. <laughs> I told you then I have a very soft spot for Chicago. So anything I could do to get back to the area, I'm happy. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. So, you know, I didn't ask you for a formal introduction and I didn't pull up the one that you sent me previously either, because in this setting, I, I, my first question will be, can you just tell us a brief history about yourself, about your professional career, where you're at today, what you do? Sure. Sure. I mean, it's my least favorite thing to talk about myself. I'd much <laughs> rather talk about other people, but I'm happy to for give the you sake of our, for the sake of our intro. <laughs> sure. So, um, I'll work backwards. Right now we are, thank God, believe it or not, in our 10th year um, of living here in Israel after making Aliyah and we live in Jerusalem. Um, And I have a private practice here in Yerushalayim where I work with um, local, Israeli, Anglo, all kinds of families, teachers, um, parents, kids, adolescents. Um, but a huge, huge, huge chunk of my practice is North American um, students that are here for their gap year, religious, secular, yeshiva seminary. Um, and it's, it's really one of my loves. Um, so that's, that's the bulk of what I do. I do a good amount of teaching and consulting and workshopping and lecturing and all that stuff also. Um, but the bulk of my work is really in my practice. Um, but I can, I can sort of rewind a little bit and um, and sort of pinpoint the like trajectory almost, um, which is that my first love was really special needs and special education. Um, and I was just speaking with a colleague here in Israel who runs a large, um, organization for that population. I was saying how it was sort of the gateway drug, um, for me to be doing what I do now as sort of a natural progression. Um, but it, it was really my first love. I did it. Um, I worked in camp with special needs campers. I was a counselor for them. I taught special at different points in my life. Um, and I think it really sort of, um, sort of planted the seeds for my love for the out of the box kids. Um, you know, obviously in whatever educational setting I was in, I always loved all of my students, um, but I was definitely more drawn to the ones in the back, sort of avoiding eye contact that barely did their homework, um, much more than I was drawn to the kids in the front row with everything neatly lined up and raising their hands. Um, I mean, thank God, I had good relationships with all my students, but my, my kishkas were always drawing me to the kids that were sort of just a little different, cognitively, emotionally, socially, whatever it was. Um, and I think that really started with my work um, in the special needs community. So I, I taught for many years. I really started in the education world. Um, and as I progressed through graduate school, um, my undergraduate, my master's degree, and then when I was doing, I was pursuing my doctorate, um, where you were able to, to really focus um, I'll give a plug for uh, the Azraeli Graduate School of Jewish Education at Yeshiva University. Um, definitely one of my happy places in this world. Great school. My wife attended there also. And in fact, I remember at my wife's graduation, you were living in Israel, but you were, if I'm not mistaken, that's when you're getting your dissertation. You had, uh, you were on a screen before Zoom was as big <laughs> exactly. as it is now. Right? You, uh... Exactly. Who knew that Zoom was going to be so popular? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I, I loved it. The The faculty there is really extraordinary. The research they're doing, the contributions they're making to our community are really, um, really unmatched anywhere else. Um, so it was there that I really, really fell in love with, um, with you know, it's been called different things at different points in time, but I would put under the umbrella of like social emotional learning, um, developmental stuff. So you're able to sort of not major, but but really focus in the doctoral program. And I was able to focus on the psychology side 
of education. Um, and so my closest mentors who now, thank God, um, have become close friends of mine personally were people like Dr. Rona Novick and Dr. David Palkovitz, um, and to sit and sort of drink at the feet of masters for years and years in graduate school really, really sort of ignited the fire, um, for the work that I'm really, really passionate about. So, you know, you could trace through step by step, but, um, those are sort of some of the big sort of um, stops along the road of my professional journey. Um, and I really incorporate all of those different pieces in the work that I do now. Um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll just say, and then you don't have to hear me talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I think I have the best job on the face of the earth. I love my work. I really feel super, super lucky, blessed, use whatever adjective you want. Um, but I really love it. And, and it's, it's enormously rewarding to find something that I love so much. That is amazing. And no doubt that is much of what makes you successful. The more we love what we do, the more successful we can be. So uh, definitely, I've heard from both ends, from, from, from knowing you a little bit and from, uh, from hearing presentations, it's, it's truly uh, a success story. So, uh, so far, so far. Hopefully I'm not done yet. <laughs> um, so you do, as you mentioned, you do a lot of work with these gap year students. Um, so mm -hmm. we focus on that for just a minute. What are some of the unique challenges that these students are faced with? Of course, now during COVID especially, but in general, I mean, that stage of life, I feel like for many of us, you know, we have high school and then we have college and it's kind of like what happens in between, they go to Israel for a year and they come back as new people. Like, so we know, you know, they're going through a lot of changes, but, but what are some of the unique challenges in their life? So it's actually one of my favorite stages. I tend to love the, the most angsty developmental stages in life. I don't know why. I love working with like really, you know, angsty adolescents. I love working with students that are here for their gap year. I think there's something really magical about times of transition. Um, and sometimes those are the hardest moments of our lives, but they end up being um, really significant turning points in our, in our personal experiences. And maybe that's why I'm drawn to it. I don't know. You know, there's a fascinating trend that we've been noticing over the last few years. And um, it's, it's certainly being picked up in multiple fields, definitely education, um, certainly the mental health world. And I would say it's showing up in other areas as well. Um, and that is sort of, you know, what do we do about this generation um, in terms of their identity development. So I'm putting their generation in quotation marks because um, it makes me feel like I'm 400 years old, even though in my head, I, I, I think I'm still 22, which, you know, logically I'm not, but I don't think that I'm so far away. Um, but, you know, a lot can be said about this um, generation of adolescents and young adults. And, and one of the things that's really fascinating for me to get to witness um, while they're here in Israel, for the vast majority of them, it is the first time and the longest time that they are away from their parents. Um, for many of them, even if they go to a boarding school, so many of them come home for Chagim, um, even if they do summer programs, if they're a counselor at camp or whatever. So um, first of all, it's just for the summer. It's not for months and months and months at a time. And there's also a new trend that like camp staff go home on weekends. And again, this is gonna make me sound like I'm so old, but like nobody went home for the weekend when I was, you know, at camp, um, right? So, so we're seeing like what plays out in the human experience when we spend so much time with our parents. Um, and, and like in any issue, I think there are some very serious benefits and there are also some significant drawbacks. One of the benefits is I think we have an unprecedented number of um, teens that feel close to their parents and very reliant on their parents in a way that, you know, a generation or two ago just wasn't the case. The, the emotional attachment is very strong. Um, but at the same time, one of the downsides is that a lot of them um, really don't know how to be independent. Um, and it ranges from like the, the sacred to the mundane. I mean, it's everything from, um, you know, I have a toothache. I don't know how to make a dentist appointment. Even, even if I'm home, I don't know how to make a dentist appointment. And I certainly don't know how to do it here in Israel if I'm an American. Um, to, you know, one of the issues that comes up a lot when I'm, when I'm teaching outside of my practice is how do I choose a hashkafa? that's right for me and is not necessarily copy paste from my parents or my school or my community. Not God forbid that it would be a rejection, but how do I really internalize something that that's like an authentic fit? Um, if I've never really been forced to figure these things out on my own. 
Um, so I would say that's probably the most unique challenge to this population because it's even different from going off to college. First of all, many in our community go to colleges that are local or local-ish. Um, and, and there's also, I, I think there's just a profound difference about being so far away geographically. And this year in particular has been fascinating because again, this generation in quotation marks, which I'm saying somewhat cynically, like we think nothing of just hopping on a plane, whether it's New York to Florida or Chicago to LA, and certainly, you know, the US to Israel, like, oh yeah, we're going for Sukkot. Oh yeah, we're going for Pesach. Oh yeah, she's coming home for this. We have a wedding. We have a simcha, right? And this year, that, that assumption, that norm has really been challenged, right? And it's not necessarily an issue of can I you know, in terms of my means, in terms of the logistics, in terms of, you know, permission. But like what happens when we really separate for a really long period at a really big distance? Um, so that's also been a really interesting thing for us to be able to watch sort of how that plays out in very um, organic ways. Sure. So that's, I totally hear that as a challenge. And, and certainly we see that in many of our cases. Um, speaking from, I guess, the pre-gap year perspective, what can we be doing as a community, as parents, as educators to be cultivating that independence before they kind of go off and just, you know, throw them in the deep end type? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a question that I think a lot of people are asking. I certainly do not claim to have all the answers or even any answers, but I just have some observations, um, you know, that might be relevant. <sighs> You know, I was saying before, it's the sacred and the mundane. It's the big and the little. Um, and I've been noticing a lot, even in the last few weeks, just conversations with um, clients that I've been working with, a lot of the basics um, that there's a lot of frustration in terms of like, I don't know how to do this. Um, so a lot of conversations around food lately, a lot. And it's not, it's not like, oh my gosh, everybody has an eating disorder. Oh my gosh, everybody's eating, I don't know, rugelach. But it's more like, um, I know kind of what's healthy and I know kind of what's not healthy, but I really don't have a sophisticated understanding of nutrition. I don't know how to cook. Um, the schools are providing meals. I think they're kind of healthy-ish, but I don't know. Or I'm a picky eater and you know my parents always provided what I did want and I don't have that here. So one thing I would say is, you know, if there's, and there's nothing profound about what I'm saying at all, but sometimes it's the most basic things that can, can make such a big difference, you know, finding a way to have our kids get involved in the kitchen um, seems like a silly kind of throwaway kind of thing. And of course, we're pulled in a thousand directions and our kids have a million after school things and they have a, a huge work you know, an academic load and they're trying to do this and they're trying to, we are all like totally, totally spazzing out. Right. Um, but like somebody has to make dinner, like lunch has to get made somehow for school the next day. Right. So, um, you know, just getting the kids involved, first of all, just makes things ultimately easier for the parents when there's just so much to do, but also it, it, it empowers the child who then becomes a young adult, um, because right now we have a lot of young adults that are saying like, I don't know how to feed myself, right? It's basic. It's not like, I don't know how to navigate something really complex. I don't know how to feed myself. And I know that I don't know how to feed myself. Um, so that, that's definitely something I would say it just comes from like the basic department. Um, and then there's the more, like the more heavy duty stuff, I think, which is like, you know, we have a tendency um, as parents, even as educators, I would say, like, you know, if I'm throwing one of us under the bus, I'm going to throw all of us under the bus together. <laughs> you know, like we're all we're all sort of part of this culture of bailing our kids out. And, you know, even as teachers, OK, I'll let me let me figure out how to help you get those extra five points. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there are a million different ways that we're trying to help our kids. And ultimately, I, I, I sincerely think it comes from a really good place. Um, and I think it is a reflection on what I was talking about before about you know, this generation has a profound closeness um, with the adults in their lives, which is really special. Um, but the downside of it is that when our kids get into a rut, they really don't know how to get out of it. Um, and there are some ruts that even when you're in your 20s, you know, your parents can help you get out of, maybe in your 30s. But the vast majority of our ruts, we really need to figure out how to get out of ourselves. Um, so it's a bigger conversation on, on a community level 
Um, you know, what are the academic expectations we have for our students? What are the communal expectations we have, you know, for our young adults? But, but I am seeing that as sort of a piece of the pie of this real struggle with independence um, of, I, I just don't know how to get out of this mess kind of thing. Right. I love that. So, so, you know, it is certainly a bigger conversation on a communal level. How do we make that happen? You mm. know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Thanks everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. See you next time. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, some of it is, um, hmm. like, I think we've gotten really good at, um, I would even say like the generation of our Bubbies and Zadies, right? If we go back, um, so that generation, or even depending on how old the listeners are, either the generation before them or after them, um, was really the generation that was about giving my kids the opportunities that I didn't myself have, right? Um, and in some ways, we've kind of taken that to an extreme. So there's like a hyper focus on excellence and a hyper focus on, um, you know, ambition. And and at a certain point, um, and it doesn't happen everywhere, and it certainly doesn't happen with everyone. But but I I'm seeing a trend where we've sort of let the train out of the station and we can't catch it. Like, no, not everyone wants to be a doctor. Not everyone wants to be a lawyer. Like for sure not, right? Um, and obviously it's like total cliche. Um, but, but we have sort of, I think, gotten hyper-focused on ideas of, um, on success and how we define success. Um, one of the benefits that we have here in Israel, I'll say, is that, um, the education here is obviously very strong. It's very impressive. Even with my own kids, I see the stuff that they're learning. I'm, I'm blown away by it very often, but the pressure doesn't exist in the same way. Like Israeli kids are not fried the way American kids are fried. Um, and I think some of it might have to do with, I don't know, the, the you know, college here is important and most Israelis go to college, right? But it's not, it, that's not viewed as like the finish line, you know? Um, so maybe it's about, you know, our obsession with the Ivy Leagues. Maybe it's about our obsession with, you know, going to business school. I, I don't exactly know what it is, but, Sometimes we have to look at the end in order to rewind so we can readjust. And I'm just wondering sort of how we envision what the end is for our kids' childhood. And if we can get that picture into our heads, maybe then we can rewind and say like, wait a second, what do I really want for my kids, right? Obviously I want them to be successful. Obviously I want them to be comfortable. Obviously I want them to have the values that matter. Um, but in order to achieve that, I'm not sure that we need to be teaching four-year-olds, you know, reading and writing and math. Like developmentally, we probably should give those four-year-olds a break, you know? And then you look at what our expectations are academically of 10th graders. And, you know, it, I mean, it all rewinds back to that, you know, what's, what's the end goal? So I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Um, but I do think some of it is about sort of how we interpret success um, in ways that, I don't know, that really resonate with like character development. In many ways, it sounds like it's not just a reflection of the you know, Orthodox community, but it's really a reflection of the American society at large. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And you know, I, and on one of our previous episodes, actually, our executive director, Rachel Karish, gave an example, I believe she said she heard from Dr. Blumenthal, uh, which was that even playgrounds, you know, that playgrounds used to be you know, made like on cement or something, and now it's totally. on whatever the softer material is. So the question of resilience and and things like that uh, come come to the front forefront. Totally, totally. And like, none of us want our kids to like fall off the playground course, and crack their head open. Right. Of course, right? right? Like, I'm not advocating that. God forbid. But like, we really have sort of bubble wrapped our kids' childhood in a way that I don't know. It, it keeps them safe, but it's kind of hindering their like character development a little bit. Sure. Sure. So now that we've ranted on, you know, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're this age, uh, this stage of, of history and, and society. What, what are on the flip side? What are some of the positives and opportunities that you see the students coming in? Perhaps you know, in your oh, you said this is your tenth year, I think. In so, Israel, yeah. 
So what, what are some of the developments and advantages that you see the, the kids coming in with now? Yeah, I love it. It's such a good question. Because I do feel like I kind of, you know, pooed them. But I really, I, I, I am continuously impressed. Really, I am. Um, they are, they, I mean, it's not fair. I'm totally generalizing and totally categorizing. <laughs> but so your listeners will forgive me, but I'm, I'm frequently impressed. Um, I think it's a, a generation um, that is enormously resourceful in ways that we were not. Um, now, at the same time that they're saying, I don't know how to feed myself, um, you know, ask them to put together a project and they can harness the energy of people their age all over the country, all over the region, all over the world, right? They're, they they are um, really skilled in using, um, I would say technology, but I think it might even go beyond that, but I'll, I'll say technology for now. Um, they're really adept at using it for good of course, we know all the downfalls and it's terrible. And, you know, we really do have to sort of figure out what we're going to do about it. But there are so many ways um, that, it, that, you know, that they're really exercising creativity um, and depth and the ability to connect and the desire to connect in ways that are, are really incredible. Um, sort of statistically, we know that this generation is one of the most open-minded and tolerant generations we've had in recent history. So in some, in some ways, the Orthodox community might struggle with their kids being what we would call open-minded and tolerant um, in certain ways. But in other ways, I think we have so much to be proud of where kids can become adults that say like, here are my Dalit Amos, here's what I believe in, but like you do you and that's fine. And I am strong enough in my own values, beliefs, systems, rituals, whatever it might be. I'm strong enough and confident in my own stuff that like your stuff doesn't bother me, like, you know, rock on kind of thing. Um, and so it, I do think over the next few years, there's probably going to be some friction um, as some of the thornier subjects come up sort of in, in, in the general conversation in America and society and Western society and, and the Orthodox community cannot avoid it. Um, but I do think that even if they're difficult conversations to be having, um, I think we have a lot to be proud of for this generation, for our kids, that, that, that they really can figure out how we can be different but tolerant. Um, I think that's like a really incredible thing that they've been able to figure out. And, and I'll say, and again, I, I, I really don't mean this in any offensive way at all, God forbid, but a lot of them figure that out on their own, right? Like, I don't think we as a community get to take credit for that, you know, as the adults in the community. I think they've really figured that out, you know, without us, almost in spite of us in many, in many ways. Um, um, and so I, you know, I don't know. I have a lot of a lot of faith in this generation. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. We have to let them figure out how to empty a dishwasher and how to make a doctor's appointment. But like, if they can figure that stuff out, you know, I I, I really think they're going to be incredible um, stewards of of you know the next generation of society. Absolutely, it gives a lot of confidence moving forward. So I think yes. <laughs> here's hoping. <laughs> would you would you say that the the I mean, I mean, mentioned obviously independence as one of the foremost challenges for this age. Um, would you say that's where a lot of the social emotional development during that stage in life is focused on? Are there other issues that are primary? You know, we, when we think of the gap year, we classically just think of, you know, going to yeshiva or seminary and, and a, a religious enriching experience, which is absolutely true and needs to be on the forefront of their development as people. But sometimes I feel like maybe we we overlook kind of the social emotional development that is occurring during those crucial years. Is there more? Is there more there? More that we should be aware of? More that takes place during those years? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much good juicy stuff that happens. <laughs> it's so good. It's like I don't know. Somehow, like somebody sticks in a new battery and they just they're working in a totally different way. It's amazing. You know, one of the things that happens when when students come here. And it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, the seminary that all of the girls from my school go to or you the Shiva where like everybody from my community goes to. Even if if you go in knowing a lot of people, um, for many of them, it's the first time where they have to sort of make a conscious decision 
to nurture a friendship, right? Like previously, certainly when, when we're younger, and, and I, I, I would make the case that even in high school, a lot of the friendships that we have are, I would say, friendships of convenience. And I don't mean that at all in like an icky, judgmental way. I mean that the vast majority of our friends are, are you know, our parents, friends, kids, or their friends from the neighborhood or friends from school, friends from the community. And we, we've kind of just been like stuck together, you know, and, and out of the small group that's in my class, you know, who here's who I've connected with. Um, whereas when you come to Israel for the year, you might have people from certainly different cities and states, but many of the schools have people from different countries. And for a lot of the students, it's the first time they're exposed, you know, to, to a diversity in that sense. Um, you know, most of the schools, um, you can maybe request a roommate, but you're not guaranteed that roommate. So you're really sort of forced, I think in a healthy way, um, to, for the first time in your life, make make conscious decisions. This is someone that I want to spend time with. This is someone that's going to help me live the values that matter to me. These are friendships. Oh, this friendship is going wrong. What do I do about that? You know, um, because it's not my mom's friend's daughter. And then the two moms can get involved and figure out how to help us make up from this fight. No, like my mom has no idea who this person is. I, I don't know this person's mom, you know? Um, so that's like an amazing, amazing thing. Just sort of really learning how to make friends almost like, you know, on the first day of kindergarten, but like dialed up several notches, <laughs> you know, um, it, that, that's a, a very cool thing. Right. Um, another cool thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, not to be, you know, all over the cliches again, but the dating that happens um, to whatever degree it happens when they're here for the year, um, like, are, are we talking to boys? Are the boys talking to girls? Are we meeting in town? Is it only over text? Well, I got rid of my text because I only have a kosher phone. Oh no, we, we, we have iPhones, so we'll FaceTime, but we're not going to get together in person. Like all of that stuff is also like really complex socially, right? right? Like, like in terms of like my from kite, where does my from kite intersect with my dating? And like, what if I was different in high school, but I plan on being different in my adulthood. So like, how do I make that shift? Um, so that stuff is also really, really, really interesting. Um, and that's definitely like social emotional stuff. And another area I would say is, is really connected to like the spiritual, development, I think, is an important piece of the emotional development. And, um, you know, that I touched on it a little bit before, but how do I envision my own Yiddishkeit? Um, am I about just, you know, checking all the boxes and doing the rituals that I need to do? Do I know what my relationship is with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Has, ever, has anyone ever really spoken to me about a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Like, if this is how I've understood it up until this point from my home, from my school, from my community, whatever, is that how I plan on moving forward? You know, that's really heavy duty stuff. Um, and that's some of the best stuff I think that happens while they're here for the year. It's some of the hardest stuff for sure. And it's some of the, the sources of the biggest stresses. But because nobody can save them from it, it's actually amazing because when they reach whatever conclusions they reach, they own that. That's all theirs, right? Like mommy didn't help them figure it out. The teacher didn't give them five extra points on their relationship with Kaddish Baruch Hu. No, like there are no extra points. You got to figure that out for yourself, you know? Um, but there's something really empowering about, about being able to sort of ask those really tough questions, um, figure out what's like that main driving thing that's going to matter to me for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh, that is such a big deal. And then how do I live a random Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with those values that are like at the center of who I am now? You know? There's just, just listening to you talk, I'm like, there's just so much that goes on in these years. It's like, it's not just, oh, you know, so much. Go, run, go grow, you know, of course that's yeah. the center of it, but, uh, but there's just so much that happens in what seems like such a short time. So I guess, when you think about this, it's not surprising how people, people often think like, oh, look, he came back from yeshiva, she came back from seminary, like totally different person. It's not just because they spent so much time learning and focus on the growth and avodas Hashem, but it's also just because that stage of life and that independence and working through all these things you're talking about are such a focus of these couple of years that really, it makes sense that they develop so much in, in a short amount of time. Totally. And it's also, it's, it's completely immersive, right? Right. And they're not distracted 
hopefully, with anything else, right? It's not like they have to study for their Chumash test and also a biology test and also figure out like who, who is at the essence of my identity, right? Like when you don't have all of those distractions and applying to colleges and I have to be on the debate team and I also have to go to basketball practice, all these different things, it's really hard to like quiet your mind and figure out like what actually matters to me, right? right? But it's totally immersive, um, especially this year. There's so many, so fewer. I don't even know what the grammar is there. So many fewer. I don't know. They're, they're, they're many more less. I don't even know how to put that. Some English teacher, please write to me and tell me how to say that. But there are far fewer, yeah, there are far fewer distractions. Um, that sounds right, far fewer. I think that's right. Our viewer, yeah. Okay, we got it. We got it. Okay. Yes, I do have several degrees. I do not have to get it. Okay, we're fine. We're good. Okay. Um, right. There, there, there are just fewer opportunities, which part of me, my heart breaks for them, right? There are so many just like fun, interesting, important things that they don't have access to this year. But the flip of it is that a lot of the schools have been enormously creative in um, finding ways to keep their students engaged on every level, emotional, spiritual, um, social, all kinds of different levels um, without, you know, hitchhiking to Tzfat and hiking something in the South and, you know, staying out too late past curfew in town and, you know, getting in trouble and having to figure out how to get out of trouble, right? Like all of that important growth stuff is not there this year. So mm. the schools, I have to give them credit, have been really incredible um, at, at, at the COVID pivot, as they say. <laughs> right, COVID pivot. I like that. So I definitely, I want to come back to the COVID pivot in just a minute. Yeah. I, I do want to ask, because it just popped into my head, um, you know, the yeshivos and seminaries are so incredible at cultivating this religious experience and growth all around. Do you find that they are also, I guess, transforming and, and, and dealing with the social emotional piece as well? Have they, has there been a change over time at the focus that that's been at? Um, I'm just curious, you know, how, how that fits into the, to the puzzle kind of from, from there. And if you're familiar. Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, I certainly cannot speak to all of the schools here. There, there are so, so, so many. Um, and there's so much diversity, not just in terms of like the type of school, but, you know, what the priorities and, and the, the cultural norms are of each school. Um, I'll say two things. One is I've noticed, and this is like super, you know, stereotypical, and I'm going to play the gender game, and I apologize because I'm not like a super gender person, um, but I've noticed in recent years that a lot of the boys' schools have made so much more space for things other than Gemara. Um, and not that Gemara is not important, but first of all, to have a basis in Tanakh and all kinds of other you know, areas that for many years, I think a lot of guys just didn't have. But beyond the, let's say, like Torah academic piece, um, the boys' schools, the, the men's schools, I should say, um, have, have really started giving more attention to the, the social emotional stuff. Boys to men, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Boys to men. Uh, now I'm really going to sound old. Um, you know, they, um, they, the, the, those schools have really started giving much more attention. Um, more of an investment in the social emotional stuff, um, which, which like Bitzedek, like I think it's a very smart move. I think we've needed it for a long time, but like these guys aren't robots, right? Like obviously we want them to learn and to love learning and to steig and to sit all day and have them thirst for it. But like every man on earth knows that they're not one dimensional, right? So if the yeshiva can be the place where these guys figure out what's the depth of their emotional stuff and the breath and what are their, you know, yellow lights and where are the places where they're thriving? Oh my gosh, that makes them a, a million times stronger as sons, please God, as husbands, as fathers, as balabatim. Like we want men who are like well-rounded, right. right? So I think they're doing an incredible, incredible job with that stuff now in a way that, that I think we've been waiting for. Um, and a lot of the girls' schools, I think it's, it's a struggle but a lot of them are desperately trying to help cultivate that independence that we were talking about before. And the reason why I say it's a struggle is because, yeah, we're 6,000 miles away, but you would, you would crack up if I told you some of the phone calls that the schools get from parents, right? So the schools, on the one hand, want to be totally responsive 
to parents and they want the parents to know I'm taking care of your kids. Like she's really doing great. I know she told you she's having a bad day. She's going to be fine. We've got our eye on it, right? And Mitzad Shaini, they really do want to help the girls cultivate the independence that they didn't have up until this point. Um, so that I know is also something that's happening um, in, in that social emotional realm in a lot of the schools. Again, I can't speak to all the schools, but, but those that I'm involved in, I think those are two really important pieces that are happening. Um, and I think are interesting for the parents and the educators in the states that are about to send their kids off right. to know like, hey, these things hopefully will happen. Like these are actually good things to happen. Right. Not, not only that, I was just thinking also about, you know, when in, in decision-making process, it's not just about where am I going to get the richest learning experience, but where am I going to become the richest Eved Hashem, the richest person, you know, hundred percent social emotionally and, and 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 as well as or in addition to the Talmud uh, that I'm hoping to become hundred percent I I would make the case and maybe I'm biased but I think like you know those in my corner I think Dr. Palkovitz I think those types would agree with me that I think those are actually essential ingredients to being the Talmud Chacham Absolutely. right like when do you know a Talmud Chacham who's a robot Right. Right? right. That's one dimensional. If you can't understand the human condition, how much Torah can you actually ingest? Right. right. Um, so I would actually make the case that it's it's a critical ingredient in helping our boys become, you know, the, the, the type of men that we hope they yeah. become. I'm, I'm happy to hear that the yeshivas and seminaries are taking those, those steps accordingly. And I, <laughs> I, uh, it's amazing. I feel like I want to go back to Israel. Me too. Me too. First of all, the <laughs> dorms are like in a lot of the schools so much nicer than you have. So what much nicer you than I have. about it. Shalom, <laughs> doing all their dorms. Just missed me. Okay. One day. Exactly. Exactly. You turned out okay. Uh, you, know, you did mention parents. Um, so, specifically with those that you work with, in terms of the independence and cultivating independence, um, and this comes back to COVID also. I imagine this is at the forefront now. Um, I imagine parents are very anxious about their kids who are in yeshiva and sem or seminary for the year, couple years now with COVID and everything going on. Um, you know, are, are you kind of, obviously there's confidentiality pieces, so that is confusing, especially because most of them are adults, although I don't know the, the rules in Israel. But, it's uh, sticky, it's you know, sticky. <laughs> but, uh, but do you see kind of a change in the way the parents are managing from a long distance during now, especially? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because one of the things that I've been finding, and I'm, and I'm not alone, I've spoken about this with a lot of my colleagues, is, you know, this question of has COVID made us more anxious? Um, and the thing is, the answer is yes and no, right? Like some people are buckling under the pressure and other people are thriving. Um, and, and I think the cheshbon goes like this. This is my hypothesis. I haven't really tested it, you know, it. empirically, but maybe somebody will. They can let me know. <laughs> my theory is that if you were someone who was anyways inclined towards the direction of anxiousness, anxiety, angsty stuff, um, then Corona has been a very difficult period. Um, if you are somebody who struggles with, um, you know, a lack of structure and a lack of predictability, then I think this time has been very, very difficult, right? And I'm seeing that with kids and I'm seeing that with adults. Um, the reason I'm saying that in answer to your question is that the parents who are not such worrier, anxious parents are checking in with their kids that are here in Israel and like every once in a while checking in with the school. And the parents that Mila Chatzchila were anxious parents, you know, even when their kid was in fifth grade or, you know, whatever it was, and we didn't even know the corona existed, um, their anxieties through the roof. And they are calling their kid constantly and they are calling the school constantly and they are checking the, you know, Israeli Ministry of Health website constantly and they are checking LL flights constantly. Um, and and so I, I, I think the issue is like whatever your natural sort of tendency has been, unless you've learned how to like keep it in check and you actually want to keep it in check and that's a value for you. But if it's not, um, I, I, I am finding that those parents who anyways had like a, a Nitzia towards some hysteria, it's just the volume is dialed up a lot. 
um, in terms of the stress and the and the nervousness. That's what I'm finding. Are you seeing that in your work? So we are. Um, it, it, I, I agree with, with that for sure. Um, what we were noticing is actually in the beginning, towards the, you know the first month or two of COVID, we were actually noticing even the, those with anxiety um, were kind of almost more calm because mm. even though the reality was one which increased anxiety, but because it increased everyone's anxiety, it almost was like a sort of comfort of everyone you know, is dealing with this issue now. So like, I'm, I'm less alone than I felt before. As COVID progressed, um, you know, then you're right, as it became a judgment call of, you know, can I go to the grocery store? I can't, you know, it's one thing when everyone is kind of locked in their own homes. But mm-hmm. when they, there's some level of discretion of can I go to shul? Should I not? Should I go to work? Should I not? You know, mm-hmm. so then yes, then certainly those with in, more anxious tendencies, uh, definitely hiked for sure. Um, and like, I agree it, for sure, the structure pieces and people with different difficult family situations certainly, um, you know, have been, been challenged during this time, but, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, what could you tell parents being a mother an educator and a professional meeting with these, these students, what can you tell parents who are here in America, whether the anxious type or not, but imagine any parent at this time is, is still on some level, like feeling a little bit out of control. What, what can you tell parents, I guess, to, to calm them? Yeah. Okay. So again, I will say, you know, I, I have no presumption. <laughs> Like, yeah, as a mom, I'm also nervous. Right. No, I would say, you know, it's kind of a fallacy that we had any control to begin with, right? right. From a hashkafic perspective, obviously, you know, you think about the hishtadlus piece of raising our kids and, you know, what kind of childhood we provide for them. But it's a farce, right? Like, to what degree are we actually in control of these kinds of things? It's so much siyat dishmaya. It's so much just how things kind of play out. Um, and this in many ways, I think is a really good exercise in being uncomfortable with right. that recognition. Sure. Right? Like we kind of, we, we walk, talk the talk, but I don't know that we walk the walk. Yeah, everything is Seattle Dishmaya. <laughs> except like, I'm gonna call this teacher, and I'm gonna make this happen, I'm gonna get this job and I'm gonna, yeah. right? So th- that's that's some of it. I think it's like an amazing opportunity for us to hit reset on our own personal hashkafic stuff. Um, And the other thing I would say is that in the vast majority of cases, stress does not affect the outcome, Mm -hmm. right? I can worry about what's going on somewhere, but whatever's going to play out is going to play out whether I'm worried or not. Now, sometimes the worry, the stress, the anxiety will sort of catapult me into action. It might you know, um, it might motivate me to make a certain decision that will be a smarter judgment call or a less less smart judgment call. But as a mother 6,000 miles away worrying about my kid's health, the worrying itself is not going to change the outcome. Please God, all of our children should be healthy. But either they're going to be or they're not going to be, and my worrying about it isn't going to change that. And that's also a very, very uncomfortable place to be. Um, but I also think it's an amazing lesson that we're asking our kids to say like, okay, guys, we recognize we have totally allowed you for us to just like do everything for you. So now you guys, guys got to go on your own. And I almost feel like there's a Kaddish Baruch Hu being like, okay, adults, like you right. too, yeah. right? <laughs> all in our here. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's tough. It's really tough. None of us want to feel, you know, vulnerable in that way. Um, but, but I do think there are some healthy elements to it. Sure. And, but do you, bottom line is, do you see, I mean, obviously the students are having a very different experience than typically, but, you know, are they sitting there feeling bad for themselves and sorry that they missed this year? Or are they doing things that they're happy, they're enjoying the year and they really are having, for the most part, a successful, productive growth year? Yeah. So again, I can't speak to every school, right? <laughs> but the schools that I know of, and I'm, I'm really giving them a big shout out, um, they've been unbelievable. They've been incredible, not only in terms of their creativity and their pivoting and saying, okay, we used to do that, now we're going to do this, but they've also been really incredible in terms of setting the tone, right? They're not walking around hanging their heads and saying, oh, this stinks. In most years, we get to do this, and this year, we can't do it. They're not. 
like in many ways, they're really setting a tone for saying like, this is what we got guys. And here's how we're going to make it amazing, you know, and, and our children slash young adults slash students are drinking that. Right. And, and that's like a really, really great way for adults to be modeling sort of this notion of making the best of it. Um, and it's, it's really, it's like incredible to witness. Right. I'm very happy to hear that because we, you know, we sit here feeling like, oh, and, and it is, oh, you know, we do feel bad, but, uh, but on certain levels, they are, it sounds like they are getting their own unique experience, which they uh, are for sure. Also right. like it, it's different from, let's say I have four years in high school and this is what my high school does every year for Hanukkah. We have this kind of Chagiga and then we break right. out the color war, whatever. And if it doesn't happen in 11th grade, oh my gosh, like it's so Haser. I can't believe we don't have it this year. Mm -hmm. For the vast majority of the students, this is their only year. They have nothing to compare it to, right? So it's not like last year we had this, but this year we're not getting it. No, this is my year and it's amazing. And I'm in Israel and I'm doing all these things I want to do. And I'm asking these questions and I'm learning these things. And I'm connecting with these unbelievable teachers, right? you know, so they don't have the, a lot of the, the parents, we have the comparison piece, right? but the mo most of the students don't, which is also an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Definitely interesting. So it's, uh, I'm sure it's a day-to-day -day and a school-to-school, -school, but uh, I'm For glad sure. to hear that overall they are they are advancing and moving forward with this crucial, crucial year. And I know I've taken like double the time I, I said I was going to because uh, I don't think I realized how just fascinating this topic is and how- <laughs> I could be our weekly guest. We could <laughs> really good. Careful what you offer. Uh, you know, before I let you go though, if I can get you for, for two more things. Of course. One is- uh, you know, and, and I know, again, confidentiality comes into effect here. So whatever you are comfortable sharing, but is there any kind of one story, ideally from this year or from any year that stands out to you, you know, that, that you can share with us? I don't know that there's one story, but, but there's a pattern that I'm seeing coming up, which is, you know, not to like, you know, harp on the same thing over and over and over again, but a lot of the students, the clients that I happen to be working with are almost all of them, in addition to whatever it is that we're working on, are also facing some really complex social stuff. Um, and what happens when I get to watch them figure something out about themselves, it's like fairy dust. I mean, it's amazing. Like I, you literally, I get to watch them transform sort of sitting in front of me. Um, when they figure something out about themselves or about, you know, some philosophy that they used to think was like, you know, unbreakable and they realize, well, wait a second, just because that's how I've always thought about something doesn't mean I have to. So it's not necessarily a specific anecdote, but I would say I'm witnessing a lot of really incredible transformation um, in the best way possible, not like in, a, in becoming somebody that's not myself. It's almost like a lot of them are going back to like their core you know, like figuring out what their essence is. And that's like, that's really cool. That's, that's really, really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you for sharing. So just before you go, last last thing is you've said a ton and there's so many takeaways I, for us. I can't believe I talk this much. Usually I just listen. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, it's great. That's why we brought you on, not to listen, but to talk. So, <laughs> so thank you for talking. Is there one message before we let you go, that you want to get out there to listeners, particularly throughout the Orthodox community to, to walk away with? Oh dear, that's, that's, a, that's a heavy one. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I would say that as diverse as the From community is, and as different as the older adults are from the younger kids, and as much as there seems to be, you know, disconnects and, and you know, spaces between us, um, I think the one thing that just about every piece of the demographic would agree about um, is that we all really, really crave connection. And we really just want to feel connected to our families, to our friends, to ourselves. Um, and so with all of our crazy busyness and we're pulled in a million directions and with COVID, I think even more so the irony is that even though we're all home, we're kind of even more distracted. Um, and with all of the technology and with all of the different ways that we can be less connected to each other, 
Um, I think sort of like the the heart and soul of Yiddishkeit is that connection, is that human connection. Um, and I would just say like whoever's got that going, keep it going. And whoever feels like it's fraying a little bit, like let's let's really think about that because I think that's the thing. I think that's what propels us. I think that's what you know keeps us going day to day. Um, and and our kids know that, right? right? Like our, our kids totally, totally know that. And even if they seem like they're sick of us, they're desperate for connection with us as the adults. I don't remember if it was you or someone else on one of our webinars, maybe that said, you know, when an interaction with a teen and, you know, the teen kind of stormed up to their room and, and in a therapy session together with the parent, you know, the teen said like, what do you, what do you want? And the, the, you know, the mother said, well, you went up to your room, like you were going upstairs crying, like, and you told me to leave you alone. So like, that's what I did. And they said, no, 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 even when I tell you and I'm crying, like, leave me alone. I don't actually want you to leave me alone. Right. Follow me up the stairs. Right. Maybe give me some time to cool off, but then please (laughs) follow me upstairs and just sit with me. You don't even have to say anything. You literally don't have to say anything. Just be with me. I just want to connect, you know? Right. And, uh, Easier said than done. I recognize yeah. that. I'm a mother of teenagers. It is easier as, said than done. That's everything we've discussed. Easier said than done, but if not, uh, if not said, then not done, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Uh, but speaking of connection, we we appreciate and thank you for the net connection that you've given us at Madrigos Midwest and, uh, you know, to the Chicago community, and the, the from world at large, for everything you're doing, for our students, for Kali students, and for for everything for, for Kali at large, we... Uh, on the educational front, on the psychological front, we are so appreciative for, for all that you are doing. And uh, thank you again for giving us your time now. And for the, we've gotten you now on a podcast and on a webinar. So now here to Shem, COVID's gonna be done soon. We see the end of the road. So uh, hopefully soon we'll be able to bring you in in person so that everyone can, can benefit on the ideal level. Thank you so much. I love much. that, I love that. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madregos Midwest, visit us at madregosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.